Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Sports Conversation with James Navalins on the Believe Network. Joining us today, Nick Brinkerhoff, a friend of the program, New York sports teams. I would say they would be defined as the lesser half. That's how they would generally be preferred as, but um, I'll let him give a better description on those teams. Appreciate you coming on. Yeah, I was just saying hello to all my fans. There's so many of them over there, but uh, and then you just kind of stole my thunder like halfway through the intro. Like you just reminded me of how emotionally down I am at the moment and uh, not really a huge fan of that. But yeah, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Of course, of course. All right, so let's start with the the most positive as I was as we were describing this beforehand. Even though their offseason wasn't even so positive at times. The Mets, what's what's kind of your overall take on their offseason and then the expectations um coming into this season? Well, uh the expectations are pretty easy. Like Steve Cohen basically has said it since he came in, he's like World Series are bust basically. Um you look at a couple of years in the future, they were saying, oh, we want to have X amount of World Series by this point, and we want to compete for the division. And, you know, they did that for the majority of last year. And then, you know, the last couple of weekends of the season happened, and then, you know, I'll go south, kind of like this episode is going to go as we progressively move through this. <laughs> sure. um, you know, but overall, expectations, you got to compete in the NL East. Obviously, Atlanta, Philly, Atlanta got a little worse. They didn't really do a whole lot this offseason. Philly obviously making big moves, surprise run of the World Series. Um, Washington, dumpster fire. Miami, I'm not entirely sure what Miami's doing. They're just kind of building a team full of second basemen and hoping that they could just play everywhere. It's kind of funny to me. Should be fun to watch. Um, but as far as the Mets go, they got to compete for the division. They got to have a real chance at the World Series. That's showing in the wild card round last year was a disgrace. Um, as far as the team as a whole goes, I, like – I don't really know if they honestly got better. Like, sure, DeGrom leaves. They bring in Justin Verlander. They bring in Kodai Senga. And, you know, they're, they're making some moves to the pitching staff. They both start with the bullpen. But Steve Cohen kind of said it when they were going after Carlos Correa. Like, they needed another bat. They never really got that other bat. Like, they're talking about, oh, let's go get one in the trade market. Who is that bat? Like, are you going to overpay for Brian Reynolds? Uh, everybody keeps talking about Shohei Otani, like, yeah, Cohen's got the checkbook ready to go. But as far as like this season goes, immediately going into it, I don't really see a whole lot that's necessarily different about this team right now. You're expecting some like young guys, kind of like Francisco Alvarez, if he's going to start on the opening day roster, probably not. He's going to find himself in AAA. Brett Beatty might play left field a little, might play third base. They were talking about moving him to the outfield when uh, Correa was on board. You're kind of just hoping that Basically, the team you had last year can kind of sustain the pace that they had in 2022. And I'm not entirely sure that that's sustainable. Like, you look at the team last year, and they were on a ridiculous pace and almost historic pace at times. I'm not sure you could really expect that to be replicated. Like, is Edwin Diaz going to have the same kind of season that he had? We've obviously seen the worst of him in New York, and now we've seen the – is that the best of him? Is that what we expect going forward? And they paid a lot of money to a lot of guys, but in reality – they just up their payroll to bring back largely the same team. Um, and then the other factor that goes into this season, 
baseball schedule change. Now, all of a sudden, you're not playing your division 19 times or whatever it was uh, all season long. So every other Tuesday in June when you're playing the Marlins and you get to beat up on them for fun or teams like the Nationals, who they somehow struggled with you know, for a good portion of last year, and they surprisingly beat up on the Phillies. When you look back on it, it's kind of funny. But either way, you're taking those games against the bottom – teams in the NL East and now all of a sudden you're not playing those teams as much because you're playing everybody in baseball so you're gonna gonna get a little bit of everybody and I think personally from my perspective I think that's great looking forward to it but I'd maybe temper expectations just a little bit until you know let's see how they look around the trade deadline but for the most part right now largely the same but the expectations remain the same as well yeah, I, w- I would say at least, at least, and obviously, you know, from the previous regime, at least you have the investment component, right? That That's automatically there. They're investing all the money. And it's kind of, as you're saying, like, it does feel like a lot of changing parts, but more of just a kind of retool of what it was. You know, old veteran pitching, really good high end, but will they ultimately stay healthy? Scherzer stay healthy for a whole year at Verlander. If they're durable and you got them, can – can Diaz replicate it? You know, he was high end in Seattle and then just on the scene last year really delivered on those expectations. Can young guys keep delivering? And, you know, you have, again, Bats, Alonzo, Lindor, but you lose out on Correa, which sure, maybe the long-term component of that, who knows where that would have gone, but it was just money ultimately. Like you were, you were going to get the production piece out of him immediately but the good, I, I think the good thing is like they're going to be constantly in it. You know, at the deadline that they will, they're going to be willing to be aggressive, and obviously every single offseason they're going to be in it financially. But I, I probably agree with you that like the expectations are World Series or bust, but the team might still not be kind of on that level of where it should be. Like for let's say Los Angeles and Houston, where it's like no, nah, they're legitimately World Series or bust just on the roster construction of kind of you know they're showing the the ability to kind of show that they've already done it you know and, and i think like the biggest part of that that we kind of discount is that for the most part this is still an upstart program with steve cohen like it hasn't he hasn't been here five years um so we're only in like year three of this experiment now in addition to the fact that when he kind of took over in that first year we didn't really have like the full front office staff that was hired. We didn't really have a whole lot of consistency with the coaching staff at the time. Like you figured this is year two of Buck Walter. This is year two of the guys that he brought in on his staff, the analytics guys that they're bringing in. Uh, Billy Epler, we had the revolving door at GM uh, in that first year because everybody under the sun decided to get into legal trouble. And then, oh, this guy doesn't want to be here. And then this guy's getting arrested for this. And, you know, before you knew it, we were hiring guys out of, you know, the jury pool at the courtroom because, you know, at least they were clean. But in reality, the Mets right now, they don't have the – Steve Cohen has said this himself. They don't have a great farm system. It was pretty uh, shallow when he first got here. They're building that up over time. Uh, The team itself, if you look up and down the roster, I mean, I talked about before you lose Jacob deGrom, you bring in Justin Verlander. Well, your your top two paid guys on the team, Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer, aren't exactly, you know, 25 and in the prime of their careers. Like, they're on the downswing. They're still great. I mean, Justin Verlander's coming off a of Cy Young, but at the same time, that's a lot of, you know, hope that you have in health. 
going over that entire season. There's no way that those guys aren't going to miss time. So they've built up depth, which is a good thing. But the problem is that they're an older team and they're not, they're not in the same conversation, at least in terms of organization yet as like the Dodgers and Astros, because they just have that sustainable success. The Mets are still trying to get to that point. That's not to say that they won't get there because I do think they will. They obviously have what it takes to get there. But as far as like one singular season goes, um, when it comes time to the trade deadline, they don't have those pieces that could stack up against those other organizations that have been there and done that before. Even though the Dodgers only won during a COVID season and we haven't seen much of them since, you know, that's just me throwing my wisdom into the ring here. But much like the Yankees, you know, they've been there since, you know, the beginning of time, like sliced bread wasn't even invented yet. They still have the same team for the most part. They still haven't gone anywhere. But, you know, they're at the top of the World Series odds every single year. But that's what you expect. I think the Mets can be there. But I would just caution with health and a largely similar team from last year moving forward. But I'm looking forward to it regardless because um, if you're moving on after I finish this point, then it's just going to go downhill. So I'm going to try and hold on to some (laughs) happiness as we get on with this. Yeah, we're pretty much moving forward here and to better things in my perspective, maybe not as good in your perspective. But yeah, I think you bring up the best point, though, about the mess. Like it is really year two of the transition into Steve Cohen. So like they're at the beginning of this thing um, and still have a really good team, really good roster. But it might not be the highest end yet, but they're they're kind of on that pathway to get there. Um, Yeah, more fun stuff here. The Jets. (laughs) Now, at least for the Jets, we, we can say this. Zach Wilson might have been exiled by his teammates, his organization. Might've. Everyone hates the guy. Not might have. <laughs> uh, I would say I would say might. Well, he was, but he's still there, so not completely exiled just yet. Um, but he's on his way out at some point here. Whether it's this year, they just keep him around just because. But I think they should ultimately get rid of him. That's my opinion. Um, <laughs> but they have a better they have a better year than they've had in so long. And obviously, they start 7-4, fall short, lose these remaining games, and, you know, it kind of fizzles out. Mike White at the end here. So, overall, how do you – obviously, good defense, good team. Salah showing what he's capable of. Get get rid of LaFour, bring in Hackett. Maybe there's a guy in Green Bay that can come on over. Um, Kind of what's your outlook here with the Jets? Kind of coming off a, a good year but kind of fizzled out here at the end. There's a lot about the Jets. There is just so there's so much about this team. Um, hot start to the year. It, the funny thing is you go back to last offseason, and everybody always does that thing when they, they release the schedule. I believe it's usually around the draft sometime in May when we get the schedule. And everybody does that thing where it's like, oh, okay, what do you think the, uh, the team is going to finish with at the end of the year? What's their record going to be? Where do you think they are at the bye week? I mean, most fans will look at the schedule and be like, oh, I want to take this road trip or thank God there's a bye week here. Um, And then obviously all the media is sitting there saying, oh, okay, well, there was people, Jets were like, oh, they're going to be two and nine and they're going to be like, or, you know, like maybe even just oh and nine going into that stretch of the season. And it was kind of the reverse when it was all said and done. They come out of the gates hot. Uh, the season felt kind of doomed right from the beginning of August when Zach Wilson went down with the knee injury against the Eagles. Uh, there's been a lot reported about that whole season in regard to the many injuries that Zach Wilson has faced, you know, to his knees, especially. 
whether or not that affected him, I'm not entirely sure. Uh, the, actually, the big thing for me is just when you watch Zach Wilson, the one thing that always sticks out is that the game just always seems so much faster for him than anything else. Like you see the talent, you see the flashes, especially when he's doing those off schedule plays, which is where he thrives and he's rolling out of the pocket. He's moving around. He can make those throws, but then all of a sudden you ask him to sit in there and make some throws or he starts facing pressure and adversity. And all of a sudden the entire game is gone. Um, I remember specifically the game against Detroit. Uh, He came out firing in the first half. Like he was really good in that first half of that game against Detroit. He comes out second half, throws an interception, and it was like the entire operation just shut down. Um, obviously, Mike White was hurt at the time. And then you're looking at Mike LaFleur, Zach Wilson. Mike LaFleur is up in the booth all game long, and everybody's kind of – some people have made mention of this. Some people have glossed over it. I think the biggest problem with the Jets is that they lost Greg Knapp, who unfortunately passed away uh, before Zach Wilson's rookie year and that uh, very sad accident that had occurred when he was on his bike. And then they never really replaced him with anybody. That That's the problem in regard to the football perspective of it. And when you don't replace somebody like that, and Michael LaFleur is coming in as a first-time play caller, and for the sake of discussion here, I actually like the comparison between the two New York teams. Robert Sala comes in, and he has an okay rookie year, more downs than ups. This year was more ups than downs for the most part, but he was still inconsistent. And I'm still not entirely sold on him, but he comes in and he hires Mike LaFleur, who is a close friend of, uh, well, the brother of his close friend, Matt LaFleur. And then he hires another guy, Jeff Ulbricht, to run his defense, where they had crossed paths before. And a lot of the coaching staff is has like that background between Sala and like previous stops. Even Nathaniel Hackett, they worked together previously. Now he's going to be the offensive coordinator. Whereas Brian Dable came into the Giants and he's like, I don't care who you are. I could meet you like five minutes ago. If you're the best coach for the job, we're going to hire you. Like he had no connection with Wink Martindale. He had no connection with Mike Kafka. They just come in and you saw the difference in the way the Giants were run this year. Obviously the way that they were able to make the playoffs. I think that's a huge difference for the Jets. I'm not entirely sure this coaching staff is it yet. And then the same could be said for Zach Wilson, like with a different now, I always go back to this. If he was drafted by the 49ers, like everybody kind of suggested, would we see a Brock Purdy type run from Zach Wilson? Would he be even better? Would we be talking about him as one of the best quarterbacks in that class as opposed to being on the unemployment line in a couple of weeks? Like at this point in time, he'll probably be sitting next to Aaron Rodgers unknowingly in that dark room somewhere, wherever he's going. But that's the big takeaway from the Jets. Obviously, the defense is fine. They had some leaky safety play. It was really not good all season long. Much of the defense was kind of bailed out by the playoff sauce Gardner and DJ Reed. They got some great play by Quinn and Williams up front, the front seven. Everybody talks about CJ Mosley being, you know, an all pro. He had a great year and everything. I'm not going to take it away from him. All the football guys love him. All the stack guys kind of love him for the most part. I still say at the end of the day, if you get more speed in that linebacker room, your defense probably gets a lot better. Like if you see him, you watch the the all 22 or you see him on a game day and you watch him matched up with those fast running backs or a faster tight end, you could see the glaring difference in that speed at the second level, especially. Uh, but much, much of that defense was, you know, led by those three stars in Gardner Reed and Quinn Williams. 
you saw you lost Quentin Williams for a game, how different it was. If he goes out at one point in time, you see how different it was, especially when they rotate guys. On offense, uh, you look at Garrett Wilson, who was benched basically in the first game of the season, and then it took like a whole week of everybody screaming, where is Garrett Wilson? We spent the 10th overall pick on him, and he's not even in the game. Uh, and then he goes out and he has a great season. Brees Hall going down basically was the thing that killed this team among plenty of other injuries. The arrow's pointing up, but as I'm sure you're about to ask me about this quarterback situation moving forward, um, it's pointing up, but it's not entirely a straight arrow going up. It's kind of sideways right now. Like we might actually, we might be downturning pretty soon here. Crash and burn <laughs> potentially. I don't know. Okay. So two part then on this QB situation, what would you want? What would you do? And what do you think ultimately happens? Well, the pipe dream has always been Lamar Jackson, but I know that's not happening. Um, if it did happen, I first off, I'd be shocked uh, for a couple of reasons. One, because that would mean the Ravens traded him within the AFC. Uh, two, just because of the fact that the Jets actually lucked out and got somebody really good at the game's most important position, sports most important position for a change. Um, but like, I don't see that happening. So you have three realistic options. And you're looking at Jimmy Garoppolo, Derek Carr, and obviously Aaron Rodgers. And I've had this conversation with a couple of people recently. And see, my takeaway is I don't know how you come out of the conversation with anything other than Aaron Rodgers being the number one choice. Derek Carr is, you know, the clear number two. Like, if you come out of the offseason with him, you're happy. Probably not going to win anything of meaning anyway. I mean, maybe like that defense really has to do a lot of heavy lifting if that's the case. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo, distant third option. I come away very uninspired. So basically the takeaway is if you watch the AFC championship game and you watch Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes duel it out for three and a half, four hours, and it ends the way that it does. To me, I don't see how you could come out of watching that game with any other answer than Aaron Rodgers being the starting quarterback. Like that's the guy you need because that's the guy that can elevate this team. As far as the other options go, you're basically hoping that the cast of characters is good enough to elevate the quarterback, not the other way around. And whether or not there's been a lot talked about whether or not Derek Carr is even suitable to the New York area. I honestly don't know. I mean, he was crying in front of the Vegas media. I mean, I'm all for, you know, showing your emotions, stuff like that. But the New York media uh, will probably it could completely derail a season. I mean, we're going to get to the Nets here eventually. They just completely destroyed the entire Nets season. Like, I have thoughts on Kyrie Irving, but, I mean, he was saying, oh, the New York media was out to get me, and that's why I was the way I was. There's no way that's true, number one. I mean, they were out to get him, but it's not the reason why he was the way he was. Basically, the point is, I don't know if Derek Carr is suited for this area. Jimmy Garoppolo is always hurt. And if you mean to tell me that Zach Wilson is not good enough to quarterback this team, which he is not, that's pretty clear by now, maybe he could be in the future. But if Jimmy Garoppolo gets hurt every year, that means that you're signing up for probably at least four games of Zach Wilson. That's conservative estimate here, four games. I just don't see it. Um, I'm very concerned at the way this whole thing is going. Aaron Rodgers going into a dark room for four days. Don't know how you could do it, number one. Um, just getting a little meal slot and just all of a sudden eating in the dark, nothing to do for just four straight days. 
a little concerned about his well-being. Maybe he's taken too many hits to the head or something. I'm not sure how it's entirely. What did he say it was? It was uh, helped clear your mind or something, provide clarity. I think it would make somebody go insane. Um, but either way, I'm a huge fan of bringing him in. Everybody seems to talk about, oh, Aaron Rodgers took a step back last year. The guy had a broken thumb. He had a million and one injuries. And everybody just conveniently forgets the fact that he's coming off two MVP seasons in a row at that point in time. Like, this is still Aaron Rodgers. This is still a guy. And even if he does come here, one of the best defenses that he's ever played with then. You're looking at a good young cast of characters. All he has to do is just be Aaron Rodgers. He doesn't have to be Superman. He doesn't have to be anything great. You just need him when, you know, you're down in a game or you need him for those few throws a game where he can really turn it on its head and flip the script. That's the guy that I want. Um, if you want a prediction as to who it ends up with, um, see, this is where I'm going with this. The arrow is pointing up for a little while. Um, at the end of the day, I think it's more sideways or pointed down because of the fact that I don't think he's going to come here. Um, I also don't think he's going to the Raiders. All these people talking about, oh, Aaron Rodgers going to the Raiders. Are you kidding me? Like the, the Raiders couldn't even fire Josh McDaniels because they didn't have enough money. And now all of a sudden they're going to pay Aaron Rodgers $60 million. Like, yeah, sure. Mark Davis is just going to, you know, climb a tree somewhere. Eventually he's going to find it. If he gets one tall enough in the desert, I hope he does. Um, but at the end of the day, um, Jacoby Brissett, that is my week one prediction. If you want to <laughs> dive into that. Oh, man. That is a brutal prediction. Yeah. If it's if it's Jacoby Brissett, I am sorry for you. I'm sorry um, for myself too. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I was going to before you made that awful prediction, because that would be an awful outcome. Um, Aaron Rodgers would just change the vibe of the building. You know what I mean? Like it just changes everything. Similarly, like Tom Brady goes to Tampa, it just changes the building. For good or bad, Russell Wilson changed the Denver Broncos building, right? <laughs> yeah, the he, building's he, gonna he change, did. right? Right, like the building's gonna change. It's gonna be centered around Aaron Rodgers, whether that's good or bad. But I would lean towards probably good because you have the talent of Aaron Rodgers built around that defense, built around the young weaponry that they have, and like, hey, I'll have Aaron Rodgers, and we can kind of figure out the rest. But yeah, if it's your Kobe Brissett, you guys are royally screwed. So. All right, I'll turn I'll turn it around here for a second. Okay, turn it so, around. All right, so Aaron obviously Aaron Rodgers clear cut number one, Derek Carr yeah. clear cut number two, Jimmy Garoppolo kind of a distant third. You're not inspired sure. by it. Um, let's say Derek Carr meeting with the Saints, he right. winds up there. Uh, Carolina drafts a quarterback. Okay. Uh, Indianapolis drafts a quarterback. Uh, because they're tired of going down the forty-something-year-old quarterback route, hasn't worked yet. Uh, probably still <laughs> probably not going to work. Uh, right. Mark Davis somehow scrounges up enough monopoly money to afford Aaron Rodgers, and uh, I don't know. Jimmy Garoppolo winds up in Siberia. I don't. I don't know wherever he winds up. You're looking at Jimmy Garoppolo, Ryan Tannehill. Oh, oh, here you go, Tennessee. I forgot about Tennessee. Let's throw them in the ring. Maybe Aaron Rodgers winds up in Tennessee. That would be, you know. Not the most shocking thing I've ever heard. Although it would have been nice if they had AJ Brown. I'm sure they would have liked that. Um, so Aaron Rodgers or Jimmy Garoppolo, one of them wind up in Tennessee, hypothetically here. You're looking at a group of probably like Ryan Tannehill, Jacoby Brissett. It seems pretty realistic once you start breaking down how many teams 
need a quarterback versus how many are available. Like, I, I don't think I'm too far off in terms of like, this is like, everybody talks about one of those three being a jet next year. I almost feel like we're kind of overestimating the percentage of one of those guys winding up there and kind of underestimating how likely it is that it goes really, really bad. And then you wind up with one of those other, like, I don't know, lower tier guys that you just have to get a starter for a year and then hope for a guy in the draft. I mean, obviously everybody, if you don't make the playoffs this year, everybody's getting fired anyway, but I feel like we're kind of discounting the fact that, Hey, you might actually wind up with Jacoby Brissett or somebody like that, or you're going to have to start trading some serious draft capital to move up and select somebody and hit your wagon to that guy. Because if you're faced with Jacoby Brissett or like CJ Stroud, hypothetically, if you're the Jets staff, like which one do you hit your wagon to? So like, what do you think? Do you think that's like a realistic possibility at this point? I feel like, uh, I mean, listen, I don't think they're getting Derek Carr. That no, feels like a, Car- a Carolina or new Orleans. That, that's what I feel like with him. Um, then we go with Jimmy Garoppolo. That more was more LaFleur. So there's yeah. no, there's no connection there. Now with Hackett, right? And you know, Sal, like there's I'm sure Sal was there, but there's no real connection. So I don't I don't see that. Like honestly, I could see Jimmy Garoppolo like in Tampa Bay. Like I, I feel like those two honestly wind up in the NFC South. Because that division's wide open. Any all those teams probably feel like they can win it if they get the right combination of quarterback play and the rest of the roster. So I don't I don't think they do get those two. So I kind of do think it is Aaron Rodgers. Or it's what do we do? Because even if Lamar Jackson does get traded, which I think I actually think there's a good possibility. I think it's like 50-50. Uh, you know, again, it That's could fair. be like Atlanta. You know, Atlanta might go all in on a guy like Lamar. I don't. Not that the Jets wouldn't go all in on a guy like Lamar. I just don't think he would wind up there I, again. They would try probably get rid of him. Try to get him to the NFC. Um. And then, yeah, then it becomes Aaron Rodgers. I, I think the think big thing gonna, about the yeah, good, good. I think he's gonna. I think he's gonna wind up there. I think he's gonna wind up in New York. Well, I really hope because, so. Because I, you're right with the, the the Vegas point. I agree with. They don't have the cash. That's just a real liquid issue. Is that they don't have sixty million just to. That's why they got rid of Cleo Mac. Like they still don't have that financial resources they're paying John Gruden, like whatever like they don't have the cash so I don't and just because Devontae Adams is there like I don't really see that um so I think it I really think it's Green Bay or it's the Jets so you're 50-50 there and yeah you lose out on him then it's what do we do and you're and then I, I, now in your hypothetical Brissett or Stroud or Man, it's risky, but I, I was, I'll go Stroud. Like, you have to try to, like... Because let's say, hypothetically, you know Jacoby Brissett's getting you fired. Like, that's yeah, going exactly. to happen. You, you're going to get fired. If C.J. Stroud... Even if you miss the playoffs with C.J. Stroud, well, he looks good like you just miss it. There's a chance, you guys. You know, there's a, it's our, the tra- tra- trajectory is up. He's on a rookie deal. Like, we can make this work. You know what I mean? There's way more plausible hope there rather than percent like we're, we know we're screwed going into the season yeah because when you evaluate anything with the jets you have to take two things into account 
the the one being the one I've already mentioned, the fact that if you miss the playoffs, more than likely everybody gets fired. That's front office, that's coaching staff, that's everybody involved. And you could argue like, hey, they brought in a ton of talent. Like Joe Douglas has done a very admirable job of getting a lot of talent into the room, something that they didn't have. Uh, if the Sacramento Kings make the playoffs in the NBA, the Jets would have the longest playoff drought in professional sports, which is almost unthinkable in the NFL when you could rebuild an entire team in like two years. Uh, some of them could even do it in one year if you have a good enough draft and everything. Um, so you have to look at the fact that everybody is probably going to get fired. Fair or not, that's what Woody Johnson is going to do. It's also important to remember that Woody Johnson did not hire anybody that was on this staff or front office. He was over in the UK as an ambassador. So it was his brother who is made fun of an awful lot in the uh, Jets you know, circle, essentially, for his interesting, very weird personality, the way that he speaks and everything, but might put you to sleep. You never know. Either way, it's important to remember that Woody Johnson didn't hire any of those guys. He's already ticked off at the fact that they collapsed at the end of the season, that they couldn't find their way into the playoffs after starting seven and four. I mean, after the Buffalo game, you're going into the bye. People were talking in the area about like, hey, there's a chance they might win the division when Buffalo was stumbling and Josh Allen had the elbow injury and there was all that talk in the air. Now all of a sudden you're you're talking week 18, like, hey, if everything breaks right, you're getting a top 10 pick in the draft. Like that went south really fast. So you talk about everybody potentially getting fired. And then the other thing, what I uh, what I brought up earlier when we were talking about coaching stuff, everything with Robert Sala seems to come down to some previous connection. Like everything that they do, you could kind of draw, you know, a link to somewhere in the past. Aaron Rodgers has that link because of the LaFleur connection. Another guy that has that link would be Ryan Tannehill because of the fact that LaFleur used to be in Tennessee. So there is those, like that familiarity there seems to be a big deal with this organization right now. I personally hate it. I think that, as I said with the Giants, you just go out there and you hire the right guy, bring in the right players. But everything with them seems to be like, hey, we know who this person is. We know what we're getting in them. And it's fine to a degree. But unless you start winning, then that's just going to get everybody fired in the end anyway. So that that's kind of where I lean in that regard. So I think you're kind of looking at that other tier. But I wouldn't rule out a draft day trade-up or a trade-up right before the draft to try and secure a quarterback if they miss out on the top three because they're going to have to do something to try and stick around past 2023. So I don't know. I feel like that it, odds are with the Jets it always goes south. But if there's – you know, everybody's talking about the NFL script writing stuff. You know, Arian Foster really doing a good job with that lately. Um, you want to talk about script writers. I mean, the Jets are one of the few teams in this upcoming offseason that can be forced to do hard knocks on HBO. So if the script writers are really getting into it right now, then they're going to get Aaron Rodgers on the Jets because then we get to watch them on hard knocks in August. That's the content we all want. <laughs> it was good the last time around. We, we need part two. <laughs> we went from, you know, Rex Ryan looking to get snacks to Robert Sala just running around the building screaming all gas, no break for four hours. Perfect. Perfect on the Jets. <laughs> now, the cake of it all. And you yeah. know what? You were, you were coming on. This this didn't go down yet. Like, no. We would have probably talked about the Nets. Like, hey, just, you know, Kevin Durant right now. And, you know, Kyrie playing really well. Things looking. Hey, can they, can they make a run here? Oh. Title contenders uh, to uh, yeah, NBA laughing stock in three minutes. That was a false narrative, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I'm just giving you the four. 
Kyrie, now a Mav, <laughs> Nets, this big three, where we're at with this entire organization. Well, when you said big three, I really hope you were talking about Nick Claxton, not Ben Simmons, because <laughs> uh, not. No, I was referring to James Harden when he was there. Oh, okay. Pit stop. Yeah. Well, otherwise, you, I mean, you could have picked Cam Thomas or Nick Claxton, one of those two, but Ben Simmons is like the furthest thing from a member of a big three that I've ever seen. Unless you're talking about the big three worst contracts in the NBA, maybe we have that going for us. But, uh, wow. You figure summer 2019, June 30th, you know, that's when they were like, oh, free agency is going to start at, you know, like uh, later in the evening, Eastern time, as opposed to like midnight on July 1st. And everybody's like, oh, this is cool. And the news breaks that, oh, okay, Kyrie Irving is going to sign with the Nets. And then the then you're just waiting for the shoe to drop. And it was like, follow the boardroom on Instagram, because that's where Kevin Durant's going to make his announcement. And then they... They're like, oh, the announcement is coming at this point in time. And then all of a sudden, everybody followed the boardroom. And then they put out the Instagram story saying Kevin Durant's going to sign with the Brooklyn Nets. And it's like, okay, hey, they built something here. Like, everybody always wants to talk about, oh, the team that they had in 2019 led by D'Angelo Russell and Jared Allen and Karis LeVert, Spencer Dinwiddie, all those guys. You know, like Jared Dudley was like the captain of your team who fought Ben Simmons in the playoffs that year before he became like, you know, 15th man on the roster if he was lucky. Um, like it's been a f- far fall from grace for this franchise in that regard. I mean, they did all that building. Uh, this is the same team that Mikhail Prokhorov, when he once on the team, was like, Hey, I'm gonna get a championship in five years or bust. And then he goes out and they make the big trade for Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce. And you know, at the end of the day, you made a big trade for them, you gave up all those draft picks, you made a big trade for uh James Harden, you gave up a ton of draft picks, you made a big three, and you know, both cases kind of even. They argued when Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett got here that it was like more of a big four at the time or even a big five. That was Darren Williams, Joe Johnson, uh, Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, and then Brooke Lopez. I mean, you were looking at a pretty nice starting lineup there. And it's funny because you do all that stuff, and at the end of the day, what did it net you? It, you got, no pun intended, of course, but you got one playoff series win for all that trouble. In both situations, you just got one playoff series win. In the case of the former big three that was broken up last year. And ironically, it was one year to the date that James Harden basically was forcing himself out of Brooklyn February 4th. And that's when the trade thing broke for Kyrie this year. It was when James Harden sat out last year and everything came crumbling down. You got 16 games of that big three with Kyrie, KD and Harden. You had 74 games of Kyrie and KD together for a team They brought them in in 2019, and you went through what is now like four seasons of this. To get 74 games out of the two guys that signed here that summer is really, really sad at the end of the day. And realistically, you knew that KD was going to miss that first year. Uh, Kyrie got hurt in 2019, and that was kind of a throwaway season because obviously that's when everything happened with COVID and they shut the league down. But Kyrie played in, I think it was 20-something games that year. And it was like, oh, KD's not here. It's not that big of a deal. We're just going to shut it down, basically, and we'll we'll be back next year. Then they bring in everybody, and nobody's even able to go to Barclays Center to watch the games when they were playing with the, with the big three, and everything was going crazy. And then last year, people start getting to go, and they get to watch it, and that came crumbling down when Durant got hurt, and Harden didn't like Kyrie, and there's just – 
the thing about the NBA is there's just so many personalities and there are so many things that could possibly go wrong in these situations when the stars run the entire league. And if you're running a crash course on what could happen when you sign a star, everything negative, like the entire half of the book about, well, if you're writing a book, 75 to 85% of the book is overwhelmingly positive. Like you're talking about championship parades and, oh, how many finals are you going to win? Like we saw that with Miami when they formed the initial big three of LeBron, uh, D Wade and Chris Bosh. That was like the highs of highs. And then the absolute lows of lows, like the remaining 15 to 10 to 15% of the time, whatever you want to call it. That was about as negative as it possibly gets. Like you have a former player that's brought in as a head coach that was doing soccer commentary for the UEFA champions league. He comes in as the head coach is like this TikTok dancing star. <laughs> it just, I don't understand. I didn't understand it from the beginning. They bring in Steve Nash. That whole thing comes crashing down. Seems like Jock Vaughn finally got something going with this team. And you were talking about a potential finals contender uh, when Durant got back with the way that this team was playing. And now all of a sudden out of nowhere, like literally out of nowhere, it's like, I don't want to be a part of this anymore. I honestly, the Nets fans put up with so much in this mini era of the franchise and it's just a shame that it all came crashing down the way that it did, whether it's front office incompetency or ownership, which I think, frankly, is awful. Um, weird coaching, like dynamics and stuff like that. Just weird roster turn- turnover. There's there's so many things that they put up with in this short amount of time. And frankly, they deserve better because they did show up and, you know, the team didn't show up for them. No, it, it it seemed like it was all a line. You you bring a bring a uh, big three together in the NBA, you win a championship, right? Like that that seemed like the model seemed like, especially when it's not even any big three. You have arguably the best player in the world in Kevin Durant, and has championship experience. Kyrie Irving has championship experience, and then you bring in James Harden. And you just think you know it's gonna come all together. You know, they lose a heartbreaker to Milwaukee because they get bl- their blitz in Milwaukee in those first two games. Then Kyrie gets hurt, right? And then, you know, James Harden's having an injury, kind of battling all, you know, plays through it, but obviously he's not himself. And it's like, all right, like, you know, we'll get healthy, whatever. We'll be back. And that was their highest end. They and were a few it, minutes away from going up 3 0 in that series yeah. against Milwaukee, and then they fell apart at the end. And who knows? Honestly, they probably go on to win this that entire thing. That's kind of the way they were playing. They were playing that well and that dominant. Um, they beat the Bucks by like fifty points. Yeah, no, they killed like them. They, were, they were killing insane. them. Yeah, no, they were they were at a different level. And now it's it's kind of all falling apart slowly. You know, James Harden exits last year. Steve Nash gets fired at the beginning of this year. Kyrie, the extension, forget everything else that happened before this year, you know, coming into the year with everything. And then, you know, he's ultimately gone because they want to put some language in his contract, which everybody they, else they, has through. Right. And there's and there's language in all these contracts, but you're not necessarily a guy that's done everything the right way, the best way to really honestly complain that, oh, I have language in my contract. Well, it's no surprise that you do because hey, the way in which you operate. Don't you ask know? him that. He was a great teammate. That's what he said. <laughs> that, that's right. actually the thing that ticks me off the most. Like you listen to the quotes or you read the quotes from the press conference that Dallas had yesterday. 
And that was a, my gosh, like get him in the Oscars or something. Like seriously, he deserves an award for that performance. Like he, he actually sat there at the, and once again, the Nets fans supported him through everything as crazy as it was, as ridiculous as it was at certain points in time, they supported him like nobody else had ever done before because of the fact that he was the Jersey kid that was going to play for his favorite team growing up. And he had all the pictures of when he was wearing Nets gear when he was a kid and he looked up to Jason kid and all that stuff. Well, now he gets to play for Jason kid, like every other Nets point guard that flames out somehow they always wind up in Dallas. Um, you know, Jason Kidd has a migraine, and all of a sudden, before you know it, three minutes later, he's traded to Dallas. And uh, Devin Harris gets traded in that deal to the Nets and then somehow winds up back in Dallas. And Darren go. Williams winds up in Dallas. And now Kyrie Irving winds up in Dallas. So basically, Spencer Dinwiddie obviously has the Dallas connection just the other way around. He'll probably wind up back there before you know it, too. So at the end of the day, whatever point guard comes to the Nets, they might as well start looking for real estate in Dallas, Dallas-Fort Worth area. They'll probably wind up there eventually. But the fact that he was able to sit there at the podium and say that he was, you know, he stood up for his teammates and he was a great teammate and he was always there for them and he did his job. And the fact that he left them in fourth place. So he he made good on his promise and whatnot. He signed for over $100 million and played 74 games with the guy that he wanted to come here with. Like he didn't even get a full season out of the two of them together in that duo. And after all the nonsense that he went through, whether it was him going completely AWOL and just disappearing for a while or the various things that he had to sit out for, um, at the end of the day, you just look at it and it's like, dude, you got to like look in the mirror at some point in time. Like you left Cleveland on bad terms, but at the end of the day, it was it was just Cleveland. So, you know, no media attention like that. Not in the same regard that he got in his other two stops. Boston, he says, hey, I'm here for the long run. And then he bolts in that offseason with the Nets. The, the funny thing to me is, is that he complains about the front office. He complains about the coaching staff. He complains about ownership. He complains about all these things. Everybody's kind of discounting the fact that before last season even started, all three stars on the Nets, the big three at the time, they were all together, and there was like no craziness at that point in time. Kevin Durant signed the extension. James Harden and Kyrie Irving both had the extensions right in front of them. Neither one of them signed it. James Harden somehow grows unhappy and he's like, I want my money. Well, you had it right in front of you before the season started and you didn't want it. Kyrie Irving, he's complaining about not getting the extension right now. Oh, I want the full four year max. You had it. You're the, he is the reason why he does not have that full four year max because it's not, it doesn't come down to the Nets front office. It doesn't come down to ownership. It doesn't come down to anybody but him. If he just showed up and did his job, then he has the full four-year max. Like, it's not even a debate at this point in time. The reason why they didn't give him the full four-year max is because they frankly just can't trust him. Like, what's going to happen in the world or what's going to happen in his personal life? And I'm not saying that, you know, you don't take time away. I mean, fine, you need to do that, you do that. Like, things happen. That's just the way the world works. But, like, for you to sit there and sign a four-year deal and only get 16 games with the big three, and 74 with your co-star that you came in with, and never playing a full season or even relatively close to a full season in Brooklyn, how could you fault the organization for not giving you a full four-year max at that point in time? I mean, it just seems absolutely – I mean, maybe it's just the way the NBA is now with the, the star culture and stuff, and it's great to a degree and terrible to another degree, but, like, 
if you're going to complain that you didn't get this contract, I just look in the mirror. You're the reason why you didn't get it. No, you're you're one hundred percent on point um, with that. It's it's all on him. That that's his. He is where he is because of him, and nobody else to blame uh, for it. I Last hope it works out then, for him. I really yeah. do. I, I really do hope it works out for him. I hope everything, you know, comes together in Dallas. I'm not a bitter person in the sense that, like, oh, you know, Kyrie screwed my team over. So, you know, I hope he flames out in Dallas. Like, no, I like watching Luka Doncic. I hope it works out for him. You know, you get yourself together, you get your money, you get all that stuff. But you can't go complaining to the media about this, that, and the other thing and say, oh, the New York media was out to get me when you single-handedly put a target on your back at every turn you possibly could have, and you knew what you were getting into when you signed up for it. If that was not a desirable thing, then you should have went somewhere else. And the, th- the thing that's even crazier to me is the fact that, you know, they wanted to come to New York and it was like, oh, we're not going to the Knicks because the media would be out to get us with the Knicks. It's still the same media. Like, yeah, you don't get the same attention. You don't have the same kind of fan base in the sense that, like, they're not – everywhere they're not packing the garden every single night of the week when you're playing i mean yeah the nets are obviously the little brother in new york but you're still getting the attention and you're getting it because of who you are it's going to follow you no matter where you go and just because of the fact that you chose the quote-unquote lesser team in new york doesn't mean that they weren't going to pay attention to you so that that's the the main takeaway so hopefully it works out for him kevin durant's probably getting traded within the next 25 hours or so um, and this entire thing is going to burn to the ground. And then I can't wait to see what stars the Nets recruit in another five to 10 years when they return from irrelevancy again. Yeah. So that's, that's where I was going. So pretty much you landed in. Yep. It's just going to burn down <laughs> disaster. Kevin Durant's going to be out of here with Jim with them. I, I, I think it might be too quick for, Tomorrow, in my opinion, for Durant to be gone, yeah, you probably so. like, oh, you never know. Um, hey, these but it things does come together like, fast, you know. Right. It it does feel though this will probably be it, right? Like I, I I'd be surprised if he's back in the Nets uniform uh, next year. What's your take, real quick, on that? Yeah, I, I'd be shocked, honestly. Uh, there's like so, it's just very, <laughs> in my eyes, it's just such a low probability that he's back mainly because of the fact that in order to keep him here, you have to find another and find another star. And the odds of you attaining that other star when every team out there knows that you need to do this, to me, just feels slim to none. Like right now, it was Brian Windhorst that reported that teams don't want to help the Nets out. Quite frankly, if I was one of those teams, why would I help you out? I might get Kevin Durant in the offseason. Why would I help you keep this guy? I mean, my, my entire franchise could turn around just by – you know, waiting until the off season, off season to see what happens. So if I'm a team like Phoenix or, you know, he's not going to Toronto. I don't understand why I already keep saying that. But if I'm a team like them, why would I want to try and help out a team like the Nets when I might be able to get your franchise in the off season? I mean, it'll cost a lot to get them. That's the reason why I don't think the trade's going to go down now. Um, but unless they figure out a way to get somebody to be a co-star here, and we already know that's not Ben Simmons, and we already know that Durant does not like Ben Simmons, uh, probably because of the fact that he just refuses to shoot the ball, or uh, every time he tries to contest a shot or does something that's a little off, then he starts limping around. So it was kind of, I don't know, I saw a clip of it yesterday in the Phoenix game. He contested a shot in the corner, and he came down fine, and he was moving. 
and it was like the guy missed a shot or whatever, and it was a terrible contest on defense, and he started limping around. So I, I don't know what's going on with him. Quite frankly, I don't think this is the right situation for Ben Simmons either. Like, that's probably San Antonio where if I was San Antonio, I'd probably call. I mean, they're rebuilding anyway. They have Brett Brown on the staff who was really uh, good for Simmons in his career. I probably would check into that if I were them. It'll cost you next to nothing because the Nets would probably just want to offload the contract. Joe Sy needs to do everything in his power to save every dollar off that tax bill that he wants because he apparently, I guess he must be in the Mark Davis company where he has no money all of a sudden now. But point is, I think Durant's gone. The guy I feel sorry for the most is probably Jack Vaughn because, like, the guy for all basically what he did was he made the Nets into title contenders, <laughs> and then all of a sudden he gets the rug pulled out from underneath him. So I think he's. I wasn't sure if he was the right guy, honestly, when they they said, "Yeah, we'll make you the head coach." Um, I wouldn't have hired Steve Nash in the first place. That's how we wound up in this situation. But the fact that he kind of smoothed everything over and it seemed like for the first time in those four years since everybody got here that it was actually going to be about basketball for a change. Like for the first time, it was actually going to be about basketball. And all of a sudden now this happens. I just feel bad for him uh, and everything that he's done. I thought he had a chance to win coach of the year with the way that they were rolling there for a while. And now all of a sudden you're like, are we now you're free falling into the standings? You don't know if Durant's staying. He uh, he hasn't said anything publicly about it, and he's not going to the games like that. Um, to me, it's just such a disaster. And you know, every disaster like this with stars in the NBA pretty much ends one way, and it's you know, with the star leaving. So we'll see what happens, but I'm not overly optimistic about anything that they get back in return because of the fact that these teams know that they have to trade him now. Unless he comes out and shocks the world and says, I'm here for the long run. That, that would be shocking, I think, at this point. Uh, now, the real stuff, the good stuff, nothing nothing related to your teams. Trying to get my mood up here, huh? <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately, in some ways, right? You'd rather it be about your teams in, in this conversation. Um, Super Bowl preview. So, we got Chiefs, Eagles. Um, I'll give you kind of my lay down, the way I'm viewing it. And then, you know, you can give your take and then we'll get keep this thing rolling. Um, I just feel like this, Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, they're really the best at what they do right now. Um, the pieces across the board for Kansas City have improved. You know, I feel like the defense is way better. The secondary's got a lot of young pieces in there. Chris Jones has been dominant. I've, you know, you have Nick Bolton in the middle of that defense. I just feel like they're improved. On that side of the ball. And honestly, the biggest difference for them has been the offensive line. They invested in it. Joe Thune, Creed Humphrey, like they just invested in that. And I think that's really the game changer for Kansas City. If they didn't have that, especially with this matchup in Philadelphia, it would look a lot like Tampa Bay and that Super Bowl where they just got demolished. He was running all over the place. I just don't think that will be um, the same result this time around. I think Philly's really good, really talented roster, probably the best roster in the league. Run heavy, run oriented. Jalen Hurts has improved a ton. Maybe he's a little banged up. Can he, can he really air it out and keep up with Mahomes? I think that's a question mark. Well, he's got the weaponry in, you know, A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith. I think Miles Sanders played really well. I think it's a really close matchup, but for me, you know, I'm going to re- lean on the reliability of Andy Reid 
and Patrick Mahomes. I just think there's enough there, and I think the biggest difference is that offensive line. I think I think they're going to show up, give them enough time, and they're going to manage a way uh, to get this win. I largely agree in this sense. Like, Great, we agree. <laughs> yeah, it's awful. It's a terrible idea, actually. Um, see, if it wasn't for the fact that I think like 80% of the public also thinks that the Eagles are going to win this game, I'd say that uh, we're probably in danger, but you know, everybody seems to be picking the Eagles to win. Um, my whole thing is that, like, are we going to see the Eagles play, like, a really good game eventually? And I'm not sure if that's a hot take or not. But realistically, in the playoffs, they faced Daniel Jones and the Giants, who felt like a fraudulent team all season long. Like, they were playing – they were punching above their weight pretty clearly most of the season. They didn't have any receivers – the roster for the most part was terrible. And that's why I alluded to how good the coaching was because of the fact that that roster on paper shouldn't have been anywhere near the playoffs. Um, the same way that, you know, they played San Francisco and Brock Purdy gets injured early in that game. And it was like Kyle Shanahan's luck. Like, so basically for him, either he makes the Super Bowl and he chokes in the second half of the game, or he just loses every single court. Like it was the perfect Shanahan narrative. Like, Perfect storyline. He loses every single quarterback he has, or he gets to the Super Bowl. They probably find a way with, I don't know, maybe the punter playing quarterback at that point in time to have like a 21 nothing lead, and they still find a way to lose when it's all said and done. But the point is, even going back to the regular season, like I was looking at this before, the last time that I feel like you could say the Eagles like really kind of dominated anybody was probably the Giants matchup on December 11th. So now we're looking at like almost two full months of you know, no Eagles domination after the way the season started. Like, in a way, did they peak too early? I mean, I guess it's kind of tough to say that because they still found a way to get to the Super Bowl. But I feel like you really can't deny how easy the path was to get here. Like, you beat a team that shouldn't have been in the playoffs and you beat a team without a quarterback. So, and Jalen Hurts didn't even play all that great in the NFC Championship game either. I feel like that's something that people need to kind of focus on a little bit more. Well, I would say this for Philadelphia coming into the year. I predicted that they would be the one seed in the NFC, not and not necessarily because I I actually think they're better than I thought they were going to be. You know, roster really, honestly, it really came down to Jalen Hurts. Like they had the roster, a good team. Like could Jalen Hurts make that jump, and he did. But their schedule was so easy. Like I thought unequivocally, like they're going to go thirteen and four, be the one seed in the NFC based on their schedule alone, and. That's kind of how it unfolds. Were they better than I thought they were? Probably a little bit more high end, yeah. But I'm telling you, they're they're you're right. Their path has been, am I not again? Not taking away their credit because they're they're a deserving team to be here. You know what I mean? But their path to get here has been, I would say, definitely on the easier uh, side of things. And yeah, I think it is interesting because can they can they really play in a really tightly contested game? And when you're going against the best in the world that at, that does it, I, I do think they're going to come up short because there's no way they're they, Philadelphia. I don't I don't see a blowout in this game, either. I really either way. Um, but it, so if it's tight, I'm going to lean towards the experience in the, in, in Kansas City. Uh, just I because agree I, with I don't. That. I, yeah, yeah. I, to me, actually, it's just like like kind of like you said. I don't want to take anything away from the Eagles because they have been the best team all season. Um, it's just that when it comes down to it, um, yeah, everybody makes a whole lot about experience to me. I feel like in a way that's kind of overrated in a sense, like once the game starts, 
is everybody really thinking like, hey, this is the Super Bowl? Or are they just thinking like, hey, I got to go make this play? And as long as – I feel like for the Eagles, that side of things, like the acquisition of A.J. Brown last year, obviously was like a huge difference for that offense. The fact that their running game is so prolific um, and the defense really did hold down the Ford a lot. And we still can't discount the offensive line of guys that are either battling through injuries or just like really, really good for a very long stretch. Guys like Jason Kelsey, thank God you did not bring up the Kelsey brothers storyline. I really hope that's not in the agenda. I can't take any more of that. Um, there are two I think things. We get that it. I, I think we get it. They're brothers. I think. I yeah, think no, there, there's like two things. Like, yeah. Yeah. It, it's whether it's the brothers who are getting chocolate chip cookies from their mother <laughs> or the fact that um, Andy Reid once coached the Eagles. Like, I think those storylines have played out. I think uh, we could kind of move past them. I understand everybody is talking like got to get the casual fan involved, but. I think we've beat that narrative into the ground. Like that's the problem with having two weeks between the championship games and the Super Bowl is like we absolutely kill these narratives into the ground before the game even starts. And then it's like, what do we talk about? Like we talked about this for two weeks and we, and we just destroyed it by then. But from the Chiefs perspective, like I, I feel like you just can't underrate the fact that Mahomes obviously had the ankle injury and he was fine in the AFC championship game. Like it didn't seem to really derail him all that much in the grand scheme of things. And then you gave him two weeks to rest it. And Andy Reid was saying that, you know, he's not, obviously he's not a hundred percent, but he could do everything in the playbook and he could, they were moving around pretty well in practice. Obviously practice is not like the game in that sense, but I just feel like those two weeks, we should kind of remember that. And honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if like Patrick Mahomes had, say like a rushing touchdown or some big run at some point in time in the game. And everybody's like, Hey, what about that ankle injury without remembering the fact that he's now like three weeks removed from it with all that treatment that he gets every single day. Um, and, and to me, when it comes down to it, like, like you said, I think it's a close game, but at that point in time, I'm going to take the quarterback that's been there and done that before. And like, you have the best one in the world. And even though like he lost Tyree kill last year, hasn't made much of a difference. They've been able to effectively run the ball and get those running backs out in space. And obviously Travis Kelsey is holding it down over the middle. Um, I don't think, you know, Kansas city necessarily needs like that top receiver, like Tyreek Hill. I think they could get the job done without him. And honestly, the way that Chris Jones lined up, they made mention of it a lot in the championship game, how he's kind of lining up uh, on the outside of the line, as opposed to in the middle. I feel like, you know, line him up at defensive end. I feel like he kind of, wrecks the game a little bit and you talk about shutting down that Eagles running game, you, you know, you st stuff the box a little bit, you make Jalen Hurts beat you with his arm. And he wasn't really able to do that in the NFC championship game. Obviously the biggest play was probably that Devontae Smith one early in the game that actually wasn't a catch. So when it comes down to it, you know, I actually think both defenses are probably, I I'm not probably going to think that this game is going over. I think they'll probably get off to a slow start. And uh, it'll pick up later on. But ultimately, probably the quarterback that has the ball last is the one that probably going to walk away with a win. And I honestly think that'll be Mahomes when it's all said and done. Let, let, let's save the score. Super Bowl MVP for the very end here. Let's go into the fun stuff, the <laughs> prop stuff. I know this is your level of expertise. Um, so you kind of take it away and I'll, I'll give a comment here and there. All right, so we have a couple of them. Uh, so, obviously, national anthem stuff. Chris Stapleton, country singer, 
is going to be doing the national anthem. Uh, a guy with long hair, long beard, nice cowboy hat. So people were actually talking about what color cowboy hat he's going to wear, whether it's going to be like brown or black or no hat at all. And I was actually thinking about this. Now, some of these ones, you'd have to make them like make those bets at offshore books, which I am personally not going to do, but people like talking about it anyway. I just think it's fun. Um, National Anthem. So I was thinking about this, right? Uh, in regard to the whole hat thing, like what color hat is he going to wear? Like, I don't know. You would country singer, patriotic guy. He's probably going to want to take the hat off. So like, does he hang it at the end of his guitar? Because more often than not, he has a guitar with him. So like the answer might be no hat at all in all reality in that regard. Um, but most of the time he wears like that light brown one. I think it'd be kind of cool if he did dangle it off the end of the guitar or maybe do some sort of like ceremonious, like put the hat back on at the end of the anthem. Um, but as far as the time goes, so they have the over under on the anthem time set at a minute, 59 seconds. And to me, that just seems like a clear over, like some of the other ones, uh, last year's anthem, the over under was a minute, 35 seconds. Uh, Eric church, uh, was there in uh, Super Bowl 55. That was a minute 59. That one went over. Also a country guy. Uh, well, not really, but I was thinking Luke Bryan, my bad. Luke Bryan, Super Bowl 51, country guy. 209 was the over-under. He went 204. So, you know, male country singer, stuff like that. And Chris Stapleton, you look at his songs, like go on iTunes, go on Spotify, go on Apple Music, whatever you, wherever you get your music at. Um, just look at the length of his songs. Most of them are like four minutes. If you listen to a song, there is no way on earth you could possibly tell me this guy from Kentucky is not going over the minute 59. That just seems like such a surefire, no-brainer uh, type way to get your day started. Just take the over 159. You'd probably be profiting early in this one. Um, but, yeah, I, I, have you ever listened to Chris Stapleton music before or seen him talk? Um, guy you, doesn't really you know, move that fast. I, I don't know. Like, there's a chance I've heard this song. Do I know mm -hmm. Like, ah, uh, that's a Chris Stables and something? No. But I will take a look after this um, to get my uh, – get get a better understanding on the subject. See, I actually – I tried to look up and see if he's ever sang an anthem before, but I couldn't find anything online about it. But I, like I said here, uh, one of his hit songs, Tennessee Whiskey, 4 minutes and 53 seconds. Like, that's ridiculous. 4 minutes and 53 seconds on right, a song right, right. In, in today's day and age. Like, most of them are like two and a half minutes, and they're just – saying the same chorus over and over again for like, <laughs> you know, like a minute 30 of that. But anyway, as far as the anthem goes, that's definitely going over. Uh, coin toss stuff. Heads or tails, what are you thinking? Uh, tails. Tails. Actually, Heads has been dominating in the Super Bowl. Yeah. Four of the past five Super Bowls, Heads was the uh, the result of the coin toss. And it has been, it's nine and five uh, Heads is since Super Bowl 43 in 2009 so you know they say tails never fails well apparently it fails in the super bowl quite a bit and uh you know I i'm going against the trend though i'm gonna say tails sure, like, super bowl no 43 way. was a good one by the way oh yeah what was that the steelers <laughs> one or something yeah san antonio Holmes. <laughs> oh yeah 2009 that's what i was oh, of course see jets should have won that there championship game yep. yeah <laughs> ridiculous they get off the bus if they if they get off the bus plane whatever whatever you want to call it if the Jets show up to that game before you know it was already too late they would have won anyway you know I'll, I'll always say that that is absolutely ridiculous um 
God, Super Bowl 2009. So far away already. Um, this is some other one that um, FanDuel and FanDuel Canada have supposedly had in the past, and they might have it again um, for this game. They do have odds for it. Uh, what will be mentioned first during the Super Bowl MVP speech? Uh, team and teammates is the favorite at minus 120. Uh, city and fans at plus 325. Uh, religion, plus 370. Family is plus 690. Coaches, plus 1,200. And the team owner is plus 2,500. And that's still somehow not long enough odds. I, I couldn't imagine the Super Bowl MVP being like, yeah, I'd like to thank my team owner here. Like, thank God for him. <laughs> plus 2500 plus 25 million would never want to take that it's definitely team and teammates i think you have to take the favorite here yeah i think i think that's pretty obvious uh will a player propose after the game uh yes is plus 400 no is minus 650 um let's see where are we at glendale right around valentine's day yeah no Not no all right. Uh, some of the I'll, I'll say yes. I feel like there's some, you know, crazy person is going to want to do it in front of all the cameras and stuff like that. There's always Wait, one in every crowd. Waiting for that moment. Yeah. I, I won't give you a prediction on who that's going to be because I don't have the time or the <laughs> desire to scroll through everybody's social media. Figuring accounts. it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I put my detective hat on. <laughs> um, Bovada, which is an offshore book, is offering which chip company commercial will air first. Doritos at minus 130 or Pringles at plus 100. That one probably is going to be Doritos. Like, I feel like early. First yeah, quarter. I feel like Doritos owns the Super Bowl. In terms yeah. of the, the chips coming in and all that. They, they have to get in early all the time. Yeah. They just have to remind you that you're like that they're there. And uh, it's probably just a situation where it's like, oh, in case the game's a blowout, like we're going to we're going to pay right. for the yeah, first quarter. Right? Yeah. yeah. The Mets, believe it or not, also, by the way, are having a Super Bowl ad this year. I can't wait to see what that's all about. I mean, of course, Steve Cohen money. Steve Cohen is out here just spending billions of dollars on the Mets roster, and then he's dropping like $7 million on a 30-second Super Bowl ad. Like, to have that kind of money in my bank account, oh, my God. I can only imagine. Like, seriously, a couple hundred million dollars on a piece of art. You know, would be nice. $7 million for 30 seconds. Like, I couldn't imagine. It must be nice. They, they released, like, a teaser for it or something. It's apparently some sort of big offer that they're doing. And, like, Mr. Met is in an empty ticket office, and he's, like, just showing you around or whatever. I don't know. It's kind of weird. We'll see what happens, though. Uh, first snack company to air the uh, commercial first. We have M&M's at minus 150 or Doritos at plus 150. So, honestly... I think you have to take Doritos because if Doritos is going over Pringles, I'm thinking that's the first quarter and there's no way the M&M's one is going to be that early because we obviously just got rid of the spokes candies and M&M's is like going to have to build up to that. Like green M&M is not going to show up and just start, you know, promoting themselves during the Super Bowl. I feel like that's closer to halftime, maybe third quarter. Doritos is coming early in this game. Plus 150 for Doritos to air earlier in the game just feels like a steal. That feels like value. <laughs> I love this analysis. It's so great. <laughs> then we have the beer brand commercial to air first. Budweiser, Heineken, both minus one fifty. Gotta love these. I love the beer commercials. They're probably my, I don't even drink, but I love the beer commercials. They're some of the best ones usually. Budweiser always goes earlier. Um, yes. Then I have uh, probably the favorite of 
a lot of people is the Gatorade one. So this is where the analysis comes in. This is your real expertise. You gotta let the I, people know. I do. So I've hit the I've hit the Gatorade prop. Lovely listeners out there, I've hit it three years in a row now. Uh, for reference, I've only been able to gamble for three years legally. So therefore, legally, I've hit the Gatorade three years in a row. So this is where my expertise comes into play. Do you have a Gatorade take for the people before we? Uh, uh yellow is the best Gatorade. That's all I got. See, I feel like yellow is in the top three. It's probably number two, but blue is number one. I don't. I feel like blue is definitely the most popular. And the fact that you're going yellow when zigging and zagging here, I don't know how to feel about that. <laughs> well, that's how I feel. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the Chiefs went with yellow end zones for this game too. I, I kind of like the yellow end zone look, though. I prefer it over the red. That's my personal preference. I'm cool with it. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. Uh, so, uh, BetMGM has listed the Gatorade colors dating all the way back to 2001 with the Ravens who won that Super Bowl. They had yellow. Um, now, the last three Super Bowls, 2020 when the Chiefs won, orange. The Bucks in 2021 was blue. And the same for the Rams in 2022. When the Eagles won in 2018, they went with yellow. So yellow appears on this list quite a bit. Blue appears on this list quite a bit. The favorite in the clubhouse here is orange at plus 250, yellow or green is plus 350. Then we have water at plus 600, also blue at plus 600. Red is plus 650, purple is plus 900, and no Gatorade bath at all is plus 1700. There's two bets that you have to make on this. The first one is you have to take the one, the leader in the clubhouse. You have to go with the orange. So obviously orange, like yellow is pretty obvious. Like, like I said, Chiefs went with yellow end zones. Uh, the Eagles, when they won, went with yellow. The Chiefs went with orange last time around. But this is the reason why you take the orange. So obviously, I already think that the Chiefs are going to win the Super Bowl. And you might be saying, oh, that's stupid. Why would they do orange like two Super Bowl wins in a row? This is why. Because of the fact that they hate the Cincinnati Bengals. You can't possibly tell me after all of that nonsense that they went through against Cincinnati – it's a great rivalry that's brewing right now. If the Chiefs win the Super Bowl, there's no way you're convincing me that they aren't going with Orange as a way to try and stick it to Cincinnati. You have a take on that? I feel like that's I'm, super clear. That that is great analysis, clear, concise. We get it. Um, I'm good with it. It actually makes sense. It's logical. All right. Orange. So, orange is the plan. So Orange is definitely. So you, like I said, you have to make two bets on this. So Orange is the obvious one because of the fact of the, uh, the rivalry there. The other one is red. So obviously the chief's primary color is red. So you're looking at red, yellow, orange. There's not really a correlation between who wins the Super Bowl, and whatever color Gatorade they drink. Like that's something that everybody always seems to think of like that's going to happen. Like typically whatever the primary color is of the team is going to be the favorite that year. Not really the way that it works when you look back in history here, although there are some teams that have had that. But the one color that sticks out that has not been used since at least 2001 is red. Red is arguably a top three Gatorade. And there is no sure. way that red has not made an appearance since 2001. So you get, in this case, you're getting the Chiefs primary color and a Gatorade that is long overdue to be used at a nice plus 650 on the return. Red and orange. Those are your two Gatorade bets to make for Super Bowl. What Super Bowl is this? 57. Yeah, Super Bowl 57. I lost count. Yeah. Those are your two bets to make Gatorade-wise for Super Bowl 57. 
orange at plus 250 and red at plus 650. You can get those odds at BetMGM Sportsbook, not sponsored, I don't think. But no. if they'd like to sponsor, they could come hit me up. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> you have a red take? Uh, no, I just think that is interesting that since 2001, it has not been used. Because it, it, I agree with you. In the top three of Gatorades, uh, for it not to be used for over 20 years is pretty interesting. See, this is the kind of analysis that you get when you come here. I'm Can't get you. it anywhere else. So, <laughs> I, I just personally, I'm going out on a limb and I, I just feel like somebody, if you're out there listening and you're preparing the Gatorade on the sidelines for Sunday, I don't care what the players request. You have to make red Gatorade because it's not fair that the red Gatorade has been disp- like just forgotten about for all these years. I mean, people need to know this. Like when you go to the supermarket, whatever your supermarket of choice is, there's plenty of red Gatorade on the shelf. It's definitely one of the ones you're picking up. If blue or yellow isn't there, definitely the number one choice. But either way, it's definitely, like I said, in the top three. And the fact that it hasn't been used. As a matter of fact, clear, clear Gatorade, whatever you want to call it, or water (laughs) as it's also known. um, That's appeared like pretty often in the grand scheme of things, but the fact that red isn't here really kind of ticks me off. And I feel like we need to, I feel like there should be a new hashtag. We should do like justice for red Gatorade. Right. Justice for red Gatorade. <laughs> <laughs> Not that close to now or Kyrie, but red Gatorade. <laughs> justice for them. Uh, um, All right. Yeah. I, I don't think I, I don't really have anything else unless you wanted to, talk about like some actual player prop type things and in the sense that like eh, i don't know i don't really have any odds listed for them i just found this snazzy little super bowl prop uh paper where it was like oh you could print it out and i don't know stick it on your fridge or something i don't know what do people do with like why would you print this out i don't know somebody we're made good. it they were like this is going to be good for our site no all good the, no see, free tremendous contact on the prop bets tremendous so let's wrap it here. Uh, score prediction, and well, we know that you know your winner, but score Super Bowl MVP. I will go with. So the over under is actually set at fifty and a half on Fanduel right now, and I said I feel like the game winds up going under in the end because everybody always wants to put a Super Bowl over. So I'm going to put it just under the total, and I'm going to go with twenty six twenty four. Kansas City with the victory. Snazzy 50 points right there. Everybody's going to be begging for a last-second field goal or something to put that over the total. It's not going to happen. So 26-24, Kansas City. And I'd really like to go out on the limb and give you a wacky Super Bowl MVP, but, like, I just feel like that's such a fool's errand at this point in time. Like, if Philly wins, it's going to be Jalen Hurts. If Kansas City wins, it's going to be Patrick Mahomes. So Kansas City is winning the game. I have to go with Patrick Mahomes. Um if I find a long shot while you're talking about this, I could be a long okay. shot. But Super Bowl MVP, it's going to be Patrick Mahomes. Okay. So I agree with you. I just slightly disagree. So, and you'll see what I mean. I got 27-24 Kansas City. We're, we're pretty much in that same score range. This All is that awful. stuff. Yeah, I know. So bad. It's definitely not going to happen now. <laughs> um, yeah. Super Bowl MVP, I do agree with you. Like It's going to be Patrick Mahomes. If Kansas City wins, he'll be too dominant. It's like 
all right, maybe Kelsey goes off, but like that means then Patrick Mahomes is going off. So that's my kind of only way. It's not him, but I think it will be him and they will win. However, I do disagree. If it is Philadelphia, I don't believe it will be Jalen Hurts. I believe it will be Miles Sanders. Oh, a running back. Yeah, yeah. They're run oriented. I could see if they win, I could see him going for you know ninety to one hundred, um, and get two touchdowns, something like that. And then Jalen Hurts has an okay game, and they give it to Miles Sanders. I could see that scenario. Wow, I was actually my my guess of who you were going to take other than Jalen Hurts was actually going to be Hassan Reddick. Because I feel like if it if it's going to be somebody like outside of Jalen Hurts, I feel like it's going to be somebody on defense. And unfortunately, the voters can't give it to Jason Kelsey, no matter how much they want to. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I, I felt like it was going to be on defense. As far as a long shot goes, once again, I just I don't like the idea of, you know, it's like you said, if Travis Kelsey has a great game, it's going to Mahomes. So right. it just doesn't even feel like it makes sense to even bet on Travis Kelsey to win the MVP, even though he might be deserving of it. Like, I can't even figure out, like, what would Travis Kelsey's stat line need to be to win Super Bowl MVP? Like, I don't even know if 15 catches gets him there. Yeah, because it's, it's, it's still right. Mahomes throwing him the ball. Right. It, it, it would be Mahomes only really going to him. Mahomes has, like, 250 on a day, maybe a pick, one touchdown, two touchdowns. It's all the Kelsey, and Kelsey has, like, 125 of it. He has like half of his yardage and just 10, 11 catches. You know, I would say that's the scenario. Um, so if if you count, if we count, and I guess odds wise, Miles Sanders is probably a long shot. I yeah. love that as a long shot. Um, if we're going further as a long shot, like I'll go Jerick McKinnon. Nick Sirianni all the way down the list. <laughs> McKinnon gets in the end zone a couple. Of, I do. I, I think if it's, I, cause I don't think like receiver. You know, we have seen it, you know, be a receiver and other shareables, but I just don't have that feel for it, especially Philadelphia side of it. Um, if they win it, I do, I do. I really do think it would be Miles Sanders. See, I, I actually thought about a way that Travis Kelsey could win Super Bowl MVP, and it's actually a great storyline now, and I might actually have to stick with this. So, Andy, obviously, here we go. We're going we're gonna to talk about the overworked storylines now. So, Travis Kelsey, Jason Kelsey, that dynamic. Andy Reid, former yeah. coach of the Chiefs. All of a sudden, now I'm thinking about what can we do to make this even more insufferable? And we can have Travis Kelsey throwing the game-winning touchdown pass on a Philly special, but not to say Patrick Mahomes because they don't want – to Chad Henney because they take Mahomes <laughs> out of the game because of the ankle injury or just somebody else. I think Travis right. Kelsey, in order to win Super Bowl MVP, will have to throw a touchdown in order to win it. I don't think and he can do it. He can do it. He he yes. played quarterback. So he is capable of doing that. Yes. They're going to go all the way down the playbook. Travis Kelsey. You heard it here first. He's going to throw a touchdown pass. <laughs> that's his, that's his way to win Super Bowl MVP. But as far as actual long shots go that I think have a chance, I feel like I said, if it's not the quarterbacks, it's going to have to be somebody on defense. And we've seen it happen before guys like Von Miller have obviously been able to capture Super Bowl MVP. Mm-hmm. Uh, based on being able to wreck the game on defense. Um, Chris Jones and Frank Clark come to mind uh, from Kansas City. Uh, But Chris Jones has, like, he's been with Kansas City forever. He's obviously had a major part. He just got his first career playoff sack in the AFC Championship game. He is currently plus 5,000 on FanDuel. I have not shopped that number around, so you have to do some shopping on your own time, guys. 
and gals, but plus 5,000 for Chris Jones. If he comes up with a couple of sacks, maybe forces a fumble or a turnover, and they do a good job in shutting down that Eagles running game, I could definitely see him having a pathway to getting that Super Bowl MVP. Uh, but actually my favorite narrative is just Travis Kelsey throwing a Philly special style touchdown or something to win the Super Bowl. I w- they would never stop talking about that one. That would be tremendous if that takes place. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This is sports conversation on the Believe Network with James Navalance, Nick Brinkerhoff. Um, yeah, this is the longest one, but that is not as a surprise. We went into great detail on these insufferable teams and our Super Bowl preview. So uh, nothing but uh, greatness coming out of this one. Never mind the fact that we talked for a half hour before we even got started. But I appreciate you having me on. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you to all my fans out there. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.